Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. Today we focus on proposed new bankruptcy rules that call for more creditor disclosure in both commercial and consumer cases. The Bankruptcy Rules Committee of the Judicial Conference of the United States is considering significant new requirements for creditor disclosure and court enforcement of these provisions among several rule changes. The most important changes would affect Rule 2019 in Chapter 11 cases. The other major changes relate to proofs of consumer credit and mortgage claims in individual cases. Unless revised as a part of the rules process, the new rules would go into effect on December 1, 2011. Both sets of proposed rules are somewhat controversial and have elicited an unusually high volume of public comment. The comment period ends February 16, 2010. With me to talk about the proposals is a member of the Rules Committee, Judge Gene Weedoff of the Northern District of Illinois. Judge Weedoff is also a member of the ABI Board of Directors and our Executive Committee. Welcome, Judge Weedoff, to ABI Podcast. Well, it's good to be here, Sam. First, let's uh, start uh, at the beginning, so to speak. While all practitioners are certainly aware of the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure, many may not be so familiar with the rules process. Can you describe that process with respect to these new proposals in particular? In other words, what is the genesis of the proposed rules changes? Well, uh, for an overview, Sam, I think it's important to recognize that the rules process is a three-year process. Uh, Suggestions for changes to the rules can come from any number of sources, practitioners, judges, members of the committee, academics. And uh, when a proposal comes to the committee, it's initially discussed at a rules committee meeting. If the committee likes the proposal, uh, it can uh, send it out for comment, and that happens in uh, the first year. That's already happened with respect to each of the three rules that we're interested in talking about today. The Rules Committee got suggestions, uh, put those suggestions into language, and then sent the language out for comment by the public. And as you said, the uh, comment period is quickly coming to an end, but uh, we do get uh, generally quite a few comments, and uh, all of this takes place in uh, the first year of the existence of the new rule. Uh, We're now at the end of that first year. Uh, What happens after that is that uh, there's another meeting of the Rules Committee to consider the comments that have been received, possibly to go forward with the rule or possibly to uh, drop it uh, or to amend it further. If there are any substantive changes, uh, then the rule has to go out for comment again. If what takes place, though, is acceptance of the rule or perhaps non-substantive changes, uh, the uh, Bankruptcy Rules Committee can forward the uh, proposal for uh, adoption. It goes to the Standing Committee on Rules, uh, and if the Standing Committee approves the recommendation, it goes to the Judicial Conference. Uh, All of that would be in the second year. The Judicial Conference approves it. It goes forward to the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, which, if it approves it, uh, then gives Congress a chance to reject the rule. And at the conclusion of all of that, uh, 
uh, Congress having not objected and the Supreme Court having approved, the rule would go into effect in the third year. That's all that uh, Rules Enabling Act stuff that we forgot about in law school. Exactly. <laughs> well, you have to know about it, which is okay. I'm comfortable with you knowing about it. Uh, it's relevant. I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's one it. thing that's very important, and that is the uh, impact that people can have both in suggesting rules in the first place, all suggestions taken very seriously, and then commenting on rules that are proposed because the comments are also taken very seriously. Agreed. Uh, and I know uh, that's a sincere uh, belief of the Rules Committee. You've uh, been very generous about asking for ABI members to comment, and I know many have as part of this uh, process. Let's, let's uh, focus first on 2019, uh, which has gotten a lot of attention, um, particularly as it relates to uh, distressed investors and other participants in uh, hedge funds, institutional investors, and other uh, participants in the uh, in the restructuring process. The rule requires greater disclosures uh, by all committees or groups uh, in in cases uh, authorizing the court re- to require disclosures by uh, any individual party in interest who seeks or opposes the granting of relief when knowledge of the party's economic stake in the debtor will assist the court in evaluating the party's uh, arguments uh, in favor of uh, full disclosure. The type of financial information that must be disclosed is expanded to all, quote, disclosable economic interests, uh, a term that is broadly defined to include not just claims or interests, but all economic rights or interests that could affect the legal and strategic positions that a stakeholder takes in a case. Um, and as I suggested, the proposal has drawn a number of comments from practitioners, trade groups, uh, even your fellow judges have, have weighed in. How have these comments uh, about the, the proposed rule affected the rule development as we are going forward here? Well, it's probably a little too early for me to say how it's affected the process because we haven't had our rules committee meeting after the deadline. So what what I'd be telling you now would be a little bit of speculation as far as how they will ultimately affect the rules making process. But I can tell you this, the main thrust of opposition has come to required disclosures of a price at which one of these economic interests was obtained. So if we're talking about a group of uh, unsecured creditors who have purchased a particular uh, type of bond that the debtor corporation has, they might have purchased those bonds long before the bankruptcy, but more likely they have purchased them shortly before the bankruptcy or even after the bankruptcy. And they may have purchased the bonds as part of uh, an overall strategy of dealing uh, with financial instruments. And the concern that's been expressed repeatedly is that requiring disclosure of that degree would enable other parties to see the trading strategy of people participating in the bankruptcy. And that, in turn, has been said to uh, have a negative impact on the market in uh, bankruptcy claims. How does the committee evaluate an assertion like that? One way, I suppose, would be to look at the interests of the people making the claims uh, and see to what extent 
they're interested in advancing the, the operation of the bankruptcy system to the extent that the uh, assertions uh, depend on some kind of economic theory. The uh, uh, Rules Committee could look at economic theory that bears on this more generally. We could look at uh, articles that have come out uh, dealing with the issue. But uh, what will generally happen is that uh, we'll rely on the expertise of the people who are at the uh, Rules Committee meeting when we're discussing it. Uh, one of the um contentions advanced uh, in support of the rule is that the the court is entitled to know the motivations of the creditors. Um, speaking now not so much as a, as a matter of a member of the Rules Committee, but as a judge, do you, do you think that's, uh, that's a role that a, that a court should have? Should a court alter its rulings because of the motivations of the parties? Well, I think you have to talk about what kinds of motivations might be at play here. If uh, we're talking about a motivation to make a profit, I think that ought to be irrelevant. It ought to be assumed. Of course, people participating uh, in, in the bankruptcy want to make a profit. Uh, and uh, the fact that they may have made wise decisions, uh, purchased claims at a low price and hope to be able to realize a higher value for them in the bankruptcy is perfectly appropriate not something that the, the bankruptcy court ought to be particularly worried about. On the other hand, someone who is advocating a position in the bankruptcy nominally to increase the value of their claim in the bankruptcy, but actually to affect the value of some other position they're holding, that's something that bankruptcy judges uh, are, I think, properly concerned with. And that's the main thrust of what this proposed rule is accomplish, to uh, require the disclosure of economic interests that vary from the economic interests that's being advocated in the bankruptcy. Okay, fair. And I might add that that's particularly important if the party asserting that position claims to be speaking for a number of similarly situated people. Let's um, uh, switch to the consumer uh, rules. Uh, sure. 3001. Uh, again, aimed at greater uh, disclosure, uh, particularly of the kind of supporting information that is designed to accompany uh, proofs of claims in consumer cases uh, when the claim is based on a uh, open-ended or revolving consumer credit agreement. The proof of claim yes. is uh, supposed to be accompanied by uh, the last account statement sent to the debtor prior to the filing of the bankruptcy petition. Uh, there's another uh, uh, subdivision of the rule that requires uh, additional information, including uh, itemization of interest, fees, expenses, and other charges incurred prior uh, to the petition and included uh, in the claim, and further provides uh, sanctions uh, for the failure of the creditor to provide the prescribed uh, information. Uh, again, yeah, what one other point is that one other point is an escrow statement. Mm -hmm. Current escrow statement is at the time of filing. What again? What is the what's the sort of origin for for this proposal? What um, uh, problem was the rules committee trying to solve with this rule? Well, I think to some extent this is a response to the 
large volume of, of purchases of consumer debt by major organizations. And then uh, the forwarding of, of those organizations' uh, proofs of claim into the bankruptcy system without what's been perceived as adequate documentation. So some difficulty in determining um, whether the claim is legitimate, how old it is, uh, and what the basis is. So the idea here was to try to get more accurate information in proofs of claim so that the, the validity of the claims could be uh, more easily determined. And with respect to those uh, uh, debt buyers uh, that you described, uh, how readily might they uh, have access to this uh, last account statement, for example? They don't produce the last account statement. They just bought the claim. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, we have received, and you may know this, Sam, a large number of objections to this particular rule, perhaps more objections to this proposed rule mm -hmm. than any of the others, by organizations claiming that they would not have access to the information that's being sought. The last account statement, um, as a practical matter, may be many, many months removed from the actual bankruptcy case. That's right. And I think the idea here was to get something on which a determination of uh, statute of limitations problems could be derived. Uh, one judge in particular suggested that there be uh, a general requirement that statute of limitations problems be addressed in the proof of claim. And uh, that uh, would raise problems of interpretation of the law, among other things. But it was thought that uh, the last account statement would have some value in helping a debtor to come to a conclusion as to whether the statute of limitations problems might arise. Uh, 3002 uh, proposed has also um, attracted a fair amount of attention as well. It uh, seems to address an issue that has come up in uh, Chapter 13 cases arising out of the mortgage crisis, where the holders of the claim on the debtor's principal residence are missing documents to validate the claim, um, and again has a number of requirements um, uh, aimed at enhanced creditor disclosure of the validity uh, of that claim, underlying documentation and the like. Uh, is that the ra yeah, is that um, the rationale behind the rule? Um, I'd say that the rationale behind the rule is more directed toward assuring that a debtor who uh, emerges successfully from Chapter 13, completing plan payments, getting a discharge, is also current on their mortgage. And the problem that's been perceived is that often debtors will finish their Chapter 13 and think they're current on their mortgage, only to be met with claims by the mortgage holder that they have uh, incurred late charges or attorney's fees or other expenses that actually put them several thousand dollars behind when they, when they finish the bankruptcy. So the idea behind this rule is primarily to make sure that there's ongoing disclosure of any additional charges or changes in the fees that are due. Uh, while the bankruptcy is pending, so that there, if there's any dispute about that, it can be addressed in the bankruptcy case itself. In in some of the comments um, that I read, uh, commenters were um, uh, offering that uh, some courts have already adopted 
the proposed rules as local rules. Uh, and as you already described, this is a process that is ongoing by the Rules Committee. It will consider the comments and perhaps revise the rules and perhaps even uh, create a new uh, future comment period before the rules are ultimately uh, sent on uh, their way to become final. And is there anything... Said, Sam, go ahead. But as you said, uh, even if the current uh, rule under discussion goes forward, it won't take effect until uh, December of 2011. Right. So is there anything that prevents a court from looking at the, the Rules Committee's work at this point saying, boy, that's a terrific rule. Uh, I think we should adopt it as a local rule. Uh, no, there is nothing that prevents that from happening. The only requirement uh, as far as local rules are concerned is that they not be inconsistent with the code or with the national rules, and there is no code or national rule provision dealing with this. So a local court that could act more quickly certainly could put this into play as a local rule. But one of the things I should have added to my explanation of why this came about is that, in fact, local courts have been uh, enacting rules or model plans or other procedures that have caused a real problem for mortgage holders and their servicers because they're inconsistent. So depending on what district that Chapter 13 is pending in, it may be that the mortgage holder is required to comply with different disclosures, with different time limits, and with different consequences than in other districts. And one of the advantages of a national rule would be to create some consistency where there isn't any now. Right. And it's also, of course, the case that while the rules, of course, are important and you've got to follow them, local, national, however, uh, they can't be a substitute for substantive rights under the code. Uh, that's a very important point, and you, you mentioned the Rules Enabling Act earlier, and the Rules Enabling Act uh, very clearly specifies that the, the bankruptcy rules cannot make changes. Uh, none, no rules can make changes in substantive law, but the bankruptcy rules are not allowed to make changes in procedural laws established by Right. And so there's a bit of a, a line-drawing exercise, I suppose, to uh, something that appears to be simply a rule of procedure, but actually turns out something to be more than that. Well, in this area particularly, because we've got a bankruptcy code provision in Chapter 13, 1322b2, which prohibits a modification of mortgages that are secured only by a lien on the debtor's principal residence. Right, right, and is subject, obviously, to a pending legislation. It's, uh, it's still a live uh, legislative option, you know, for the current Congress. So, um uh, again, the, the sort of tension, I, I guess, I'm trying to say between rules proposals uh, and and the and the legislative proposals are something that everybody needs to be mindful of. Yes, and that's one of the points that's been been made in opposition to some of the rules that are pending that uh, they may infringe on congressional uh, prerogatives. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the comment period is uh, ending February 16th, and that there. Uh, there could be more uh, meetings uh, of the committee and perhaps a revised uh, proposal. What else do you think we could expect um, from the Rules Committee in the coming months? Well, the rules that you've mentioned are probably the most significant that uh, we're uh, considering, but there are always a host of other rules uh, that are, are being proposed, uh, and we can expect there'll, there'll be further proposals and further activity. The uh, committee will be meeting uh, in April to consider the comments that have been received uh, on the rules we've discussed and others as well, and uh, we'll, as a result of that April 
consideration uh, by the Standing Committee or uh, perhaps change them and send them out again for further comment. Very good. I should uh, also mention the forthcoming issue of the ABI Journal, the March issue, will have two feature articles on uh, 2019 in particular, um, and as well as the complete uh, text of the proposed rules and underlying comments from the Rules Committee uh, justifying the changes as a way to try to uh, help um, advise our members of the, the coming changes and really, as you point out, how significant these rules changes would be. Well, I think those articles are going to be of great interest to the members of the Rules Committee, certainly me. <laughs> well, we look forward to, uh, to that. You, Judge Weedoff, you've been very uh, generous with your time today uh, to explain these particularly uh, significant rules, and uh, we very much look forward to trying to be of assistance to the committee uh, as uh, you go forward with your important work, and thank you for being a guest of uh, ABI Podcast today. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. That's our podcast for today. You can listen to more than 70 podcasts from our homepage at abiworld.org. And until next time, this is Sam Giordano saying good day.